Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more info, you can check us out on Facebook at Life Church of Columbia. You have ever heard, but in a way that's really wrecking my life, causing me to fall so deeply in love with Jesus like never before, understanding the love of God. And I'm going to start out in some scriptures that uh, in the book of Mark, chapter number 14, 22, and uh, these are the words of Jesus on that Thursday evening uh, at Passover. Uh, I'll be combining information from all four Gospels of how they dealt with that meal that night. Uh, not to mention uh, Jewish tradition uh, that would be found around the Lord's, uh, at the Lord's Supper or at a Passover meal. These are the words of Jesus in the book of Mark. Chapter number 14, beginning uh, at verse number uh, 22, it says, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it unto them and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verse number 25 is very interesting. And then Jesus made a statement. He said, verily, I say unto you, I'll drink no more of this wine. I want you to catch that. I'll drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you. In the kingdom of God. So, like I said, tonight we're going to act like it's Thursday night. So it's Thursday night of the Holy Week as it relates to Jesus in this city. And Jesus and his disciples are in the place, uh, I think Josh preached on Sunday. It's the place that was prepared for his, or this historical, monumental celebratory event called the Passover meal. And oh, if we just understood Jewish custom of how this would come alive to us. But here they are at the Passover meal. But tonight is different. Tonight will be the Passover of all Passovers as it relates to Christ and his disciples. This Passover on this night will change the course of history. Not, uh, a matter of fact, not even the disciples could understand. The disciples did not even understand the full magnitude of this last traditional Passover meal that night. So, first of all, all of the traditional elements would have been there. You would have the wine which was always an element of celebration. I can't stress it enough tonight that this was not a table of mourning. This was the most celebratory festival known to the Jewish nation. It was a a storytelling. It was a testimony from the end. uh, From the beginning to the end. So on this table, you would have the wine. On this table, you would have vegetables that they dipped in salt water. And the salt water represented the sweat and the tears of the suffering they went through while in bondage in Egypt. 
you would have what they call the matzah. It's a flat, dry, cracker-like bread because it was unleavened bread. Uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the elements, but they are profound within themselves. Uh, and actually, it had a twofold meaning. Uh, the matzah on the table did. It had a twofold meaning. It was once called, in one sense, it was the bread of affliction. But in another sense, it was called the bread of freedom. And the reason is, the freedom caused Christ a whole lot of affliction. Are you with me? And in a Jewish Passover meal, there would be three pieces of matzah on the table. And at the beginning of this meal, the father would reach into the middle of the three. The three signifying the unity of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He would reach into the middle. We have Father, we have Son, and we have Holy Ghost. And he would take the one in the middle and he would break it. All of his kids are sitting around. Families, sometimes multiple families are sitting there. And he would break it. And then he would take it and wrap it in linen. Sorry, I forgot to tell you that part. And he would wrap it in linen. And he'd have the kids hide their eyes. And he would go and hide this or bury this. And at the end of the meal, which was all testifying of the broken body of Jesus Christ for you and I. And then it was covered, meaning it was buried. And at the end of the meal, the, the, the dessert would be the children that would go find the broken piece and they would partake together. Which is signifying that us becoming the children of God, amen, coming to find and to know the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. You got to understand, there was music, there was dancing, there was festivities going on at this meal. And the, uh, of course this meal was established by God himself as a memorial to celebrate his children's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. Each year this Passover meal is eaten. And it is eaten as a reminder. Are you with me? To remind them of the strong arm of God that brought this great deliverance. So this table tonight, amen, as it was year after year after year at the Passover celebration, it was a table of celebration around which the whole family would gather for the retelling of how their God delivered them from bondage. This is why Jesus said, every time you do this, you do it to remember me. He said, I do not want you to forget, and I don't want your children to forget, and I don't want your children's children, are y'all with me, to forget. So this table is to always keep it in front of your mind. Isn't it amazing how we humans can be when God has done something so great for us that we would forget it or that we would take it for granted? So he said, every year, and the entire, every piece of this meal represented a testimony of what God had done in their life. And, and uh, uh, from the 
shank bone of the lamb, which represented, of course, the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. You had the bitter herbs. You had the egg, which represented the circle of life. Uh, all of these were components that they went through, and they would stop and celebrate. Now, the reason it's called the Passover is because on the night of their deliverance, the Bible teaches us in the book of Exodus that the death angel brought judgment upon Egypt. In other words, it's a picture of God bringing judgment on the thing that's holding you, on the sin that's holding us. God brought judgment upon Egypt by killing the firstborn. But he passed over every house that had applied the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost. Now the word Passover is Pesach. And it actually means to be exempt. It means to hop over or to pass over. So Passover was God's promise that the blood of the sacrificial lamb will exempt you from the judgment of God. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. I said the blood of the sacrificial lamb is what exempts us from the judge of God, uh, judgment of God. So God's instruction for the Passover is found in the book of Exodus chapter number 12. I'm going to uh, just lay a foundation with some scriptures. Uh, in Exodus 12, God said, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and he shall take it from the sheep and from the goats. Next verse said, And they shall take the blood, and they shall strike it on the doorpost of their homes, wherein they shall eat the lamb. He said, And thus shall you eat it. When you eat the lamb, I want your loins to be girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and eat it in a hurry, for it is the Lord's Passover. You got to understand what he was telling this. They've been in bondage for 400 years. They didn't get to go anywhere. But he said, tonight, because of the blood and because of the lamb, I want you to eat this meal ready to move. Tonight, we're leaving bondage. <laughs> oh, help me to maintain tonight. And he said, for I will pass through the land of Egypt tonight, and I will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a sign upon your house where you are. And when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. And the plague shall not destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And he said, and this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. So the Passover meal is a retelling of the story of their deliverance that is passed down from generation to generation. Now, uh, on this table, along with the food, would be four cups of wine. And if it wasn't necessarily four cups of wine, 
there would be four different fillings of one cup. Are y'all with me? Stay with me. Because remember now, wine was an element of celebration. And they would celebrate, this is really, really good stuff, catch this. They would celebrate the four aspects of their deliverance through the course of this meal. Remember, it was one celebration after another celebration. And, and with each celebration, they would fill a cup of wine. And they would celebrate by drinking that cup. Now, these four aspects of their deliverance are found in the Torah, or what we call the Old Testament. And it's in Exodus chapter number 6, verse number 8. Look at this scripture with me. We'll go to this, this slide here. Exodus chapter number 6, verse number 6. It says, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. Somebody say, I will bring you out. Bring you out. Cup number one. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Remember, this is the promise of God, and this is what they celebrate. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you of their bondage. There's another I will. And I will, third I will, I will redeem you with an outstretched hand and with judgments. Verse number seven, and I will, last cup, and I will take you. It's very important. I will take you to be my people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which brings you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Put my cups back up there, if you will. So they would be four cups, or at least Four celebrations. The first one was the, they would celebrate the promise, I will bring you out. And they would fill this cup up and they would begin to rehearse how God brought them out of Egypt. And it would stir the spirit of praise and thanksgiving in every generation. However, I believe we're losing something, church. Amen. And they would not let the fire die in their homes. They would not let gratitude die in their homes. And they would, they would take the first cup, which is to bring you out. It's called the cup of sanctification. And they would do another part of the meal. And all of a sudden, they would grab cup number two. And cup number two, the second promise God said was what? I will rescue you. And it's called the cup of deliverance. And what's amazing to me, they would pour another cup, or maybe like I said, they were using the same cup, but there was four cups. And this cup is called the cup of deliverance and the cup of judgment. And I, I thought, God, is it the cup of deliverance or is the cup of judgment? And God said, yes. <laughs> it's both. Because while you're celebrating your deliverance, God was putting his judgment on his son Jesus. 
This cup ought to be a cup that makes us weep before God and praise before God because you are the sinner, not Jesus. But while I'm, I'm drinking the cup of deliverance, Jesus was on the cross drinking the cup of judgment. They would celebrate over that a while and then they would come to cup number three. Cup number three is an important cup. It was the cup where God said, I will redeem you. It was where they would celebrate the redemption of God. Uh, We're going to go deeper. Just stay with me. I need you to keep that in your mind. And then, of course, the last and final cup. Somebody say the last and the final cup. Cup number four was the promise I will take you to me. And it's called the cup of Hallel. Hallel means to praise. It is a form of what we call, the word we use, hallelujah. At this cup, there is an eruption in worship. <laughs> I told you it's a, it's a cup of celebration. And it's going to mean more here in just a minute if you'll stay with me. It's at this cup to where there is an eruption in praise and worship. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise to Yahweh. Praise to Yahweh. I wonder if y'all just say that a few minutes to get yourself woke up. Praise to Yahweh. Praise to Yahweh. And why was this one so important, Uh, Pastor Joe? Why was there so much praise here? Because this is the promise I'm going to bring you to me. I'm going to bring you to me. Let's go deeper. Now, here we are at the Passover meal with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus begins to unlock the mysteries that have been hidden in this table for 4,000 years. Oh my God, we can't wrap our mind. Holy Ghost, take us in the spirit of the all. The disciples had had prepared for uh, Passover after Passover after Passover. They had actually, this was their third one to prepare for Jesus Christ, right? They, it was just routine to them. It was just routine. But little did they know, on that Passover night, Jesus was finna walk in and change the course of their life. How many times do we enter into the house of God through the course of nature and through the routine without any expectation that Christ is about to change our life? Our jinglings and janglings are getting everything together and not even realizing something supernatural is about to happen. <laughs> something is about to happen. Jesus is about to unlock some mysteries. I'm going to try to unlock for you tonight. And they are many that have been hidden in this table for nearly 4,000 years. Tonight, on this Thursday night, He will reveal that this table is about more than a sacrificial system that consists of lambs and laws. They're sitting there expecting him to go through the ritual as usual. And and at the point I'm going to start, Jesus has already went through two cups. He went through two cups. He done went through the, the cup where they celebrated, I will bring you out. They've done drank the cup of I will rescue you, the cup of deliverance. 
Uh, but things are about to change with this third cup tonight. Tonight, he says, he begins to teach them. He begins to open up the table like they've never seen it before. And like I say, he begins to unlock the mystery that this table from this day on will be more than obligational duties. This table will be so much more than ritualistic ceremonies of things that we go to without feelings or heart or will. It's just something that we do. Tonight, he will reveal that the time has come to retire the old covenant based on works and what you can do and what I can do and embrace a brand new covenant. Are y'all with me tonight, Bible students? Tonight, he will teach them we're about to fold up the old letter of the law and put it in its place and we're about to embrace a covenant that is based on the love of God for his people. As a matter of fact, tonight, Christ will present this table. And I'm telling you, I can prove it to the letter. I just don't know how deep I can go tonight for the sake of time. But tonight, Christ will present this table as something as personal and as intimate and as relational as a marriage covenant between a groom and his bride. It's in your Bible. Jesus is actually using the table to present, stay with me now, the stages of a Jewish engagement and betrothal and marriage that it would, would, would have actually been easy for an Orthodox Jew to be able to understand. For in the Jewish culture, when a young man desired to marry a woman, in, in ancient in Israel, he would prepare a contract. He would, he would prepare a covenant. And he would come and he would present it to the young woman and her father at the young woman's home. The contract would show his willingness to provide for the young woman. But the most important aspect of the covenantal contract was the bride price. Y'all remember the bride price all through the Old Testament. There would be the bride price. The, the bride price was the price that the young man was willing to pay to marry that young woman. And if the bride price was agreeable, this was his proposal. If the bride price was agreeable, the young man would pour a glass of wine for the woman-to-be. The price has been presented. He's standing there looking her in the eyeball. He's wanting to take her as his wife. If the bride price is agreeable, he would pour a glass of wine for the young woman. And he would hand, he would stretch out his hand to hand the bride or the bridal candidate a cup of wine. And he would say these words. This is the cup of my covenant. 
if the young woman accepted the proposal, if she accepted and drank the cup, it would indicate her acceptance of the proposal. This cup was the betrothal cup of the covenant. Well, on the night of the Passover, when Jesus picked up that cup, it was the third cup of the meal that Thursday night. It was the cup of redemption. It was the betrothal cup of the bride price. And it was at this point in that night, are y'all with me? It was at this point in that night that the very night Jesus was betrayed that he picked up that third cup and he said, this is my bride price. This is my contract. This is my covenant with you. For he lifted up that cup and said, this is my blood in the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. So Jesus' uh, phrase here, it reflects a bridegroom offering a covenant of marriage with the betrothal cup. But it's also revealing this is the price I'm willing to pay to marry you. I think I'm going to stop and drink on that one. He was actually, he didn't come with a contract written on paper. He didn't come with money in his pocket. But he stood there and he lifted up the cup of betrothal. The cup of redemption. The cup of covenant. And in that cup revealed what he was willing to pay to redeem you. What he was willing to pay for you to become his bride, which was his own life on the cross. And when the disciples took the cup, come on now, you better stay with me. When they took the cup and drank the cup, they were actually saying, I do. My God, this is important. I do. I understand the agreement. I understand what you're willing to pay so that I can become your bride. So when he said, here, you drink all of it, they were literally saying, I do. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm going to give a bride price like no other groom has ever given. <laughs> I'm willing to give a bride price like nobody else has ever been willing to give. He said, I'm going to give my blood. I'm going to give my life to marry you. Oh, I don't know if y'all can receive that. He said, my bride price will demonstrate my love for you. Jesus held that cup and said, this is my blood of a marriage covenant that I'm willing to enter into you. He was saying, this is what it's going to cost me to marry you. All at this table. This is what it's going to cost me to marry you. Can I tell you, this table is the ultimate expression of the love of God. We walk in here and do communion like it's some mysterious uh, uh, calisthenic when in reality this table is screaming, I love you. 
Come on, somebody. It's screaming, this is how much I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Are you listening to me? This whole table is screaming, this is how much I love you. Once the bride, this, this happens in Jewish weddings. Once the bride took the cup, from the groom, and she drank from that cup, the covenant cup, the covenant between the bride and the groom is sealed. And this happened in a ritual called Kedushin, and it means sanctification because after she drank, the betrothal cup of covenant, the bride was set apart for her husband. She is now consecrated. She is now holy. The betrothal was now legally and relationally binding. Your Bible puts it this way. She was bought with a price. And by drinking that cup, it ratified the agreement. And from that point, catch this now, from that point, the engaged bride would pull a veil over her face. And it was a sign that she was formally off the market. Oh, I need to teach that right there. She would pull a veil over her face and then... After this agreement, after this engagement, she would walk out through the town and any suitor that may have been looking for a girlfriend would see the veil over her face and say, she's taken. Are you with me now? Say that she's taken. The people she would come in contact could look at her and tell she belongs to somebody else because of the veil. Can I just stop and teach a little bit right here that once you've entered into covenant with Jesus Christ, once you've drank from the communion cup of Christ, once you have entered into the body of Christ, are you listening to me? Amen. They ought to be a sign about you that you're not available to just any sin, anybody. Are y'all okay out there? Amen. Maybe the reason the devil keeps winking at you, I got to get back to my teaching, amen, it's because we have not pulled the veil over our face and say, I have been bought with a price. Oh, my God, can we go deeper? At this point, in the ceremony, she pulls she drinks the cup, she pulls the veil over her face, and she is now betrothed to the groom. You ever noticed how the Bible says that Mary was a spouse to a man named Joseph? They weren't married, but they were betrothed because she was gonna, he was going to have to give her a divorce to break the betrothal. Why? Because this part of the process has done been had. So at this point, 
the, the, the groom was tell his bride, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he would leave and go back to his father's house and begin to build a room on his father's house for him and his bride. And this would typically last a year or maybe two years. But when the room was complete, the groom would, retire, would return to receive the anticipating bride. And then the bride and the groom, they would not see each other uh, 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 until the groom returned to get her. And when he came back, they would be an extravagant feast. Stay with me now. I'm going to show you something. They would be an extravagant feast. Now remember, three cups have been dealt with. There's still a cup on the table. There's still a cup on the table. The groom would come back to the anticipating bride and they would then throw an extravagant feast at which they would drink the next cup, which was the what? The fourth cup. The cup that said, promised, I will take you with me. Court number four, uh, cup number four. That's why your Bible teaches at that Passover meal that night, Jesus drank the third cup of redemption. And after he drank the third cup, he said in Matthew 14, 25, I will drink no more of the fruit of this vine until the day that I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, I will drink the fourth prophetic cup with you at the consummation of this marriage at the wedding feast. Oh, somebody catch this right now. Amen. It's the fourth cup. It's the Hallel cup. Amen. It's the cup of praise. And the book of Revelations chapter number 19 gives you and I a prophetic view of when we're going to drink that fourth cup. Because see, before we go there, what you got to see is this cup is not only telling me what God has done for me. This table is also telling me what he's now doing for me. But this table is also prophesying what he is still yet to do for me. So when we do this uh, meal, when we have this meal together, we're not only worshiping him for what he's done for me, but we're also prophesying that the same Christ that died for me is coming back to get me. We get a picture of that in the book of Revelations chapter number 19 and 6 of the great marriage supper of the Lamb. It says this, then I heard what seemed to be thunderous voices of a great multitude, like the sound of a massive waterfall and mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Verse number seven, let us rejoice and exalt him and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come. And the bride has made herself ready. 
Verse number 9. Then the angel said unto me, Write these words. Wonderfully blessed are those who are invited to feast at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. And then he said unto me, These are the true words of God. But as of now, you and I are living between the third cup and the fourth cup. We're living between the cup of redemption and the cup of consummation. Like I said, this table reminds us of what God has done. It reminds us of what he is still doing right now. And it also reminds us of what he is still yet to do. Jesus was using the Passover table that night as an expression of marriage terminology. It was, remember, it was at the Passover when Jesus said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you so. But I'm going to prepare are y'all with me? I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you shall be also. Amen. Can I tell you something? Religion has exploited the rapture. I'm going to say it again. This table is about love. It's, it's a love letter from the beginning to the end of how much God loves you. But religion has exploited the rapture. Amen. They, they've exploited the rapture based on our own narcissism. That the, that the rapture is about a reward for you being so good. The rapture is, are y'all with me tonight? It's a reward for your goodness or all of your good deeds. Our, 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 our religion will teach you that the rapture is some escape plan that's going to suck you out of all of your miseries. But I'm here to declare to you tonight, we've missed it. I said we've missed it. The rapture is about the love of God. It's about the love of God. It's about the love of a father longing to be united with his children. This table is about the love of a father longing to be united with his children. This table, y'all, is about the love of a groom longing to be united with his bride. It's about a bride. This table is about a bride who is preparing herself in great anticipation of being forever united with the one she loves. Somebody tell your neighbor he's talking about the rapture. Away with this religious teaching that the rapture is a retirement program. <laughs> Amen. And one of these days, oh, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. It, it means you're looking for the rapture for the wrong reason. The rapture ought to spark a love story in your heart that I just long to be with him. It, the rapture is about the betrothed becoming the wedded. I don't know if y'all hearing me. Can I say it this way? The rapture is actually not about getting us to God. But rather it's about an overwhelming desire 
for our God to be with us. Oh my God, this part's changing my life. It's changing my prayer life. I said the rapture is not about God sucking us off this earth and getting us out of trouble and getting us about misery. This whole table is all about God, our God who has an overwhelming desire to be with us. I'm going to prove it to you. Can y'all stay with me a few more minutes? Revelations 21.1. Here's the consummation of it all. And I saw a new heaven, stay with me now, and a new earth. Because the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from where? I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is what? This is the consummation of the love of the Father. He was with Adam in the beginning. And he hung out with Adam in the beginning. Amen. And God's redemptive plan through this table was to get back to that level of fellowship. Oh my God, I don't know if you hear me, amen. That God in heaven is longing to look me in the eyeballs. God is longing, amen. Can I tell you, there's coming a day where we will no longer live for God by faith. There's coming a day when we will no longer speak in tongues. We will no longer have the words of knowledge. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians. He said, all of these are going to cease. Kobe, I'm not going to need faith anymore. Why? Because I'm going to see the reality of the God who created me. I'm going to walk with him. Are y'all listening to me? I'm going to talk with him. I won't need faith because I'm going to see God with my eyeballs. I'm going to hear him speak with my ears. I'm going to touch him with my head. And it may say according to you, but I'm like John. If he's going to be able to embrace him and hold him. Are y'all listening to me right now? Have you ever thought about this? This is the heart of God for you to embrace God. That's too much. And then all of a sudden, man, I just realized it's about God's love for me. He wants to be where I'm at. And right now we're separated. And I have to serve him by faith. Amen. But I'm betrothed to him. Amen. And I just wonder if between the betrothal, the third cup, and the fourth cup, if the bride to be ever said, maybe he forgot. I wonder, I wonder, here she is, she's ready, and she, and part of the, the custom is, you have to be ready when he comes. Because if not, it's an insult to the groom that your anticipation is the proof you want to be united with him for all of eternity. Amen. 
you, 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 you want to. So she had to be ready. But I just wonder. She didn't know if it was going to take a year or two years. And I just wonder if after a couple of years she got to thinking, well, maybe I ought to look for somebody else. <laughs> maybe he's not coming back. Y'all, y'all better hear me, church. Maybe he's forgot about me. Maybe he decided not to. And that's why Jesus said, every time you do this, you do it to remind yourself. Come on, somebody. You may have to reach for the fourth cup every now and then. Amen. You, 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 you may have to reach for the prophetic cup that says, I will take you to me. Maybe if you start getting discouraged, you need to have communion again. Amen. For the communion will remind you what he did for you, but it'll also remind you he is coming back. He's coming back. Hear me. This table is past, is present, and is future. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not slack concerning his promises. As some men call slackness, it's just not his will that any man perish. In other words, the scripture says, it's saying the only thing God is waiting on right now is for more people to become part of the bridegroom, the part of the bride. That's all God's way to go. I just want to stop right now in this teaching and encourage you. Amen. Don't get caught up in the lie. We've always heard Jesus is coming. We've always heard Jesus is coming. When the Bible says the reason he hadn't come, you know why Jesus ain't come? He loves the world too much. And while it might be good for you, it's going to be bad for a whole lot of people. He said, don't stay holding me back is love. My love for the world. So this table, this table tells the story. Y'all ain't getting bored with me. I love this stuff. He's telling the story of our deliverance, our redemption, our future. This reminds us I am a betrothed one. Maybe when you start getting discouraged, you need to start having communion. <laughs> Maybe you need to start breaking out the table again and remember, amen, I belong to Jesus. When the enemy starts pulling you too far to the right, maybe you ought to stop and get your engagement ring out again. Throw me some communion. Uh, maybe you ought to get your engagement ring out again and say, I, 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 I still belong to Jesus. Amen. I am betrothed to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. And he is coming back to get me. Can I tell you something before we start closing this out? It is very possible. Jesus said after the third cup of redemption, I won't drink anymore. But it's very possible that the disciples drank that fourth prophetic cup of praise and anticipation of him coming back. It's very possible they drank that because it was the cup of praise, and your Bible teaches that they sang a praise song before they left the room that night. Right? Per adventure, they drank the fourth cup that Jesus said, I won't drink it until the marriage supper of the Lamb. And your Bible teaches in the book of Luke, he will seat us at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and Christ will serve us. 
could it be that the disciples still had the sweet taste of the fourth cup on their palate when Jesus was hanging on that cross drinking from another cup? Because your Bible says, after this, it's in the book of Mark or, or John, after this, that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. Catch this. That the scripture might be fulfilled, Kim. Jesus said, I thirst. And your Bible says, now there was a vessel full of vinegar setting at the foot of the cross. And the soldier filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it up to his mouth. And verse 30, when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and died. In other words, while they had the sweet taste of the prophetic promise on their lips, Jesus was drinking the bitter cup of judgment on that cross. While we enjoy the deliverance of our Christ, he endured the judgment of our God. Is anybody in this place? Amen. Maybe he did drink a fourth cup, but it was not the cup of sweet wine. It was the cup of the judgment of God. So now you and I can gather around this table and shout hallelujah. We can worship over cup number four. When you understand all of this, hear me now. You can start understanding parables. When you understand the bride, the groom, the betrothal, this table, then you can, you can start understanding parables like the book of Matthew. Remember Matthew 25? It said, The kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish, but the wise took oil in their lamps, right, in their vessels with their lamps, but while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go you out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise said, not so, lest there not be enough for us. You go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the door was shut. Now these parables make sense. The ten virgins represents the church as a whole. And in the church there's the wise and the foolish. And the wise are those who have oil in their lamps saying, my groom is coming back to get me. We don't preach a whole lot about the rapture and, and I don't see the, the, the need to it. But let us not forget that it's the love we have for God that has us loving the people for God. And when, when that love relationship is right, 
we love people right. And we're not praying, come Lord Jesus, but in the back of our mind, we're knowing they will be a consummation of the marriage. And when he comes, I must be ready to meet him. I begin to understand this. Now, now, now all of a sudden I understand why Paul struggled between the two. Paul said, it'd be expedient for me to go because I want to see him. I want to be with him. You know what, Kobe? I think I've been wrapped up most of my Christian life with working for Jesus. I've been wrapped up with serving him. And we should do both. We should work for Christ. We, we should serve him to the best of our ability. Amen. But all of a sudden, when you look at it for like this, my service is simply a reflection of my love for him. And my overwhelming desire now is to see him. I want to see him. I want to spend eternity with him. This is the message of this table. He said in the book of Luke, let your loins be girded about, your lights burning, and yourselves ready like unto men who wait for their Lord when he shall return for the wedding. And when he knocks, we can open the door immediately unto him. Stand with me all over this building. We're going to enter into a communion service. Mike, come put me a lot of some of those right in here. Cody, now all of a sudden communion ought to take on a whole new light. That it's so vital that when I drink this cup, I'm literally saying, I do. I do. I do. And when I drink this cup, I pull the veil over my face. And Jared, I'm no longer available to sin. I'm no longer available to anything or anybody, I belong exclusively to him. This table screams how much he loves me and how much he paid for me. And when I drink this cup, I enter in to a covenantal relationship with him. I want you to- Thank you for listening to this Life Church podcast. 